Section 2 of Baled Hay by Bill Nye. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Greeley Aid Rum. When I visit Greeley, I am asked over and over again as to the practical workings of woman's suffrage in Wyoming. And when I go back to Wyoming, I'm asked how prohibition works practically in Greeley, Colorado. By telling varied and pleasing lies about both, I manage to have a good deal of fun, and also keep the two elements on the anxious seat. There are two sides to both questions, and some day when I get time and have convalesced a little more, I'm going to write a large book relating to these two matters. At present, I just want to say a word about the colony which bears the name of the Tribune Philosopher, and nestles so lovingly at the chilly feet of the Rocky Mountains. As I write, Greeley is apparently an oasis in the desert. It looks like a fertile island dropped down from heaven in a boundless stretch of buffalo grass, sage hens, and cunning little prairie dogs. And yet you could not come here as a stranger, and within the colonial barbed wire fence procure a bite of cold rum if you were President of the United States with a rattlesnake bite as large as an Easter egg concealed about your person. You can, however, become acquainted if you are of a social nature and keep your eyes open. I do not say this because I have been thirsty these past few weeks and just dropped on the game, as Aristotle would say, but just to prove that men are like boys, and when you tell them they can't have any particular thing, that is the thing they are apt to desire with a feverish yearn. That is why the thirstful man in Maine drinks from the gas fixture, why the Kansas drinkist gets his out of a rainwater barrel, and why other miracles too numerous to mention are performed. Whiskey is more bulky and annoying to carry about in the coattail pocket than a plug of tobacco, but there have been cases where it was successfully done. I was shown yesterday a little corner that would hold six or eight bushels. It was in the washroom of a hotel and was about half full. So were the men who came there, for before night the entire place was filled with empty whiskey bottles of every size, shape, and smell. The little fat bottle with the odor of gin and livery stable was there, and the large flat bottle that you get at Evans, four miles away, generally filled with something that tastes like tincture of capsicum, spirits of ammonia and lingering death, is also represented in this great congress of cosmopolitan bottles sucked dry and the cork gnawed half up. When I came to Greeley, I was still following the course of treatment prescribed by my Laramie City physician, and with the rest, I was acquired to force down three adult doses of brandy per day. He used to taste the prescription at times to see if it had been properly compounded. Shortly after my arrival here, I ran out of this remedy and asked a friend to go and get the bottle refilled. He was a man not familiar with Greeley in its moisture-producing capacity, and he was unable to procure the vile demon in the town for love or wealth. The druggist even did not keep it, and although he met crowds of men with tears in their eyes and breath like a veteran bung-starter, he had to go to Evans for the required opiate. This I use externally now on the vagrant dog who comes to me to be fondled and who goes away with his hair off. Central Colorado is full of partially bald dogs, 
who have wiped their wet, cold noses on me, not wisely, but too well. About Sawmills, River Falls, Wisconsin, May 80. I have just returned from a trip up the North Wisconsin Railway, where I went to catch a string of codfish and anything else that might be contagious. The trip was a pleasant one and productive of great good in many ways. I am hardening myself to railway traveling like Timberline Jones's man so that I can stand the return journey to Laramie in July. Northern Wisconsin is the place where the foreign lumber comes from, which we use in Laramie in the erection of our palatial residences. I visited the mill last week that furnished the lumber used in the Oasis Hotel at Greeley. They yank a big wet log into the mill and turn it into cash as quick as a railroad man can draw his salary out of the pay car. The log is held on a carriage by means of iron dogs while it is being worked into lumber. These iron dogs are not like those we see on the front steps of a brownstone house occasionally. They are another breed of dogs. The managing editor of the mill lays out the log in his mind and works it into dimension stuff, shingle holts, slabs, edgelings, two-by-fours, two-by-eights, two-by-sixes, etc., so as to use the goods to the best advantage, just as a woman takes a dress pattern and cuts it so she won't have to piece the front breadths, and will still have enough left to make a polonaise for the last summer gown. I stood there for a long time watching the various saws and listening to their monotonous growl, and wishing that I had been born a successful timber thief instead of a poor boy without a rag to my back. At one of these mills not long ago, a man backed up to get away from the carriage and thoughtlessly backed against a large saw that was revolving at the rate of about two hundred times a minute. The saw took a large chew of tobacco from the plug he had in his pistol pocket and then began on him. But there is no use going into details. Such things are not cheerful. They gathered him up out of the sawdust and put him in a nail keg and carried him away. But he did not speak again. Life was quite extinct. Whether it was the nervous shock that killed him, or the concussion of the cold saw against his liver that killed him, no one ever knew. The mill shut down a couple of hours so that the head sawyer could file his saw, and then work was resumed once more. We should learn from this never to lean on the buzz saw when it moveth itself aright. Experiments with Old Cheese A recent article in a dairy paper is entitled, Experiments with Old Cheese. We have experimented some on the venerable cheese, too. One plan is to administer chloroform first and perform the operation while the cheese is under its influence. This renders the experiment entirely painless, and at the same time it is more apt to keep quiet. After the operation, the cheese may be driven a few miles in the open air, which will do away with the effects of the chloroform. The Rag Carpet with the threatened eruption of the rag carpet as a kind of venerable successor to the genuine Boston-made Turkish rug, there comes a wail on the part of the male portion of humanity, and a protest on the part of all health-loving humanity. I rise at this moment as the self-appointed representative of poor, downtrodden, and long-suffering man. 
Already lady friends are looking with avaricious and covetous eyes on my spring suit, and in fancy constructing a stripe of navy blue, while some other man's spring clothes are already spotted for the hit-or-miss stripe of this time-honored humbug. It does seem to me that there is enough sorrowing toil going for nothing already, enough of backache and delirium, without tearing the shirts off a man's back to sew into a big ball, and then weave into a rag carpet made to breathe death and disease, with its prehistoric perspiration and its modern drugstore dyes. The rug now commonly known as the Turkish prayer rug has a sad, worn look, but it does not come up to the rag carpet of the dear old home. Around it there are clusters, perhaps a tradition of the oriental falsehood, but the rag carpet of the dear old home, rich in association, is an heirloom that passes down from generation to generation, like the horse blanket of forgotten years or the rag bag of the dear dead past. Here is found the stripe of all-wool delaine that was worn by one who is now in the golden hence, or stricken with the Dakota fever, living in the squatter's home. And there is the fragment of underclothes prematurely jerked from the back of the husband and the father before the silver of a century had crept into his hair. There is no question but the dear old rag carpet with poisonous greens and sickly yellows and brindle browns and doubtful blacks, is a big thing. It looks kind of modest and unpretending, and yet speaks of the dead past, and smells of the antique and the garret. It represents the long months when aching fingers first sewed the garments, then the first dash of gravy on the front breadth, the maddening cry, the wild effort to efface it with benzene, the sorrowful defeat, the dusty grease spot standing like a pork gravy plaque upon the face of the past, the glad relinquishment of the garment, the attack of the rag carpet fiend upon it, the hurried crash as it was torn into shreds and sewn together with the mad plunge of the dust-powdered mass into the reeking bath of Paris green or copperas, then the weaver's gentle racket, and at last the pale, consumptive, freckled, sickly panorama of outrageous coloring, offending the eye, the nose, the thorax, and the larynx, to be trodden under feet of men, and to yield up its precious dose of destroying poisons from generation even unto generation. It is not a thing of beauty, for it looks like the colored engraving of a mortified lung. It is not economical, for the same time devoted to knocking out the brains of frogs and collecting their hams for the metropolitan market would yield infinitely more, and it is not worth much as an heirloom, for within the same time a mortgage may be placed upon the old homestead which will pass down from father to son, even to nations yet unborn and attract more attention in the courts than all the rag carpets that it would require to span the broad spangled dome of heaven. I often wonder that Oscar Wilde, the pale patron of the good, the true, and the beautiful, did not rise in his might and knock the essential warp of filling out of the rag carpet. Oscar did not do right or he would have stood up in his funny clothes and fought for reform at so much per fight. 
while he made fun of the Chicago waterworks, a grateful public would have buried him in cut flowers if, instead, he had warped it to the rag carpet in the approaching dude. A TRYING SITUATION There are a great many things in life which go to atone for the disappointments and sorrows which one meets. But when a young man's rival takes the fair Matilda to see the baseball game and sits under an umbrella beside her and is at the height of enjoyment and gets the benefit of a hot ball in the pit of his stomach, there is a nameless joy settles down in the heart of the lonesome young man, such as the world can neither give nor take away. End of section two.